are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Good morning, White Church. This morning, I'm reading scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 7 through 11. The year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Michelle, thanks for reading scripture for us this morning. As we turn towards the message, you know, 2020 has been quite the year, hasn't it? We've been learning a lot of hard lessons this year. One of them has certainly been to hold our plans loosely. And I got to just tell you, this week, we were supposed to be in 1 Kings 17, beginning our new series about Elijah and Elisha, but then things changed and it became apparent that our worship plans needed to change. So on Friday morning, I got up, I set aside my notes on 1 Kings and started to write a new message on Isaiah 61. There are moments that come along when our plans are just upended, our normal routine is disrupted, and things around us are falling apart. We've already experienced that this year with the pandemic, and now we're experiencing it again with the death of George Floyd and the violence that has engulfed our city. I want you to know two things as we begin the message today. The first is that I know that there are many kids who are right here in our living rooms at different ages of understanding what's going on. So I just wanna share with you today that I'm not gonna share any details that wouldn't be suitable for kids. I think it's really important that they're here as we apply the truth of the gospel to the situation. And secondly, I wanna ask for your grace as I speak to these things this morning. I need that every Sunday, but I'm especially aware of it today. These things are difficult, they're complex, and I might not get it all right. And I asked our leadership team specifically if they would pray that I would speak wisely, clearly, 
and boldly. And so I just ask for your grace as I try to do that. But this is not a moment that we can ignore or downplay or look away from. It is raw, it's ugly, and it is right here on our own front doorstep. Our state was in the news this week for all the wrong reasons. I mean, I had pastors and YMCA leaders who were calling me and emailing me from Texas, Washington, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, Tennessee, New York, just checking in to see how we're doing and to let us know they're praying for us. And that was just the United States. You could add to that list England, Germany, Liberia, and South Africa. What's happening in Minneapolis is igniting the globe. And, you know, my experience is when you travel abroad, a lot of people have never heard of Minnesota. We kind of are in flyover country, apparently. I think it's beautiful country, but a lot of people overseas haven't heard of where this is. And I'd often find myself living in Europe for a while. I'd have to explain, well, it's in the middle of the U.S., up by Canada, the Great Lakes, if you've ever heard of those, about seven hours from Chicago. Then people would start to shake their head and say, oh, okay. This week, my wife Esther was punching in something to Google. And you know how it will autofill according to popularity of searches? So she was just typing in something else, and she typed in, where is? And do you know what the first suggestion was? It filled in, where is Minneapolis? That's what the world has been asking. And I just don't want to give them occasion to say, where is the church? This is a moment when the church must rise up and proclaim what is good and true and right. To stand up for our brothers and sisters of color. To pray for our law enforcement officers and their safety. And to contend for peace and justice. So turn with me this morning to Isaiah 61, if you'd have that open in front of you. This is a chapter that is often entitled, The Year of the Lord's Favor. We actually sang about it with John in our first song this morning, Lift Your Voice, It's the Year of Jubilee. And that's the context of Isaiah 61, the year of the Lord's favor. You see, in the Hebrew calendar, every 50th year was called a year of Jubilee. And you can read all about it in Leviticus 25. But in summary, it was a year of worship, rest, and equity. And so it was a year when slaves were freed and land that was obtained by debt reverted back to its original owners. That's the context of Isaiah 61. And it's these very words that Jesus read in Luke 4 in the synagogue when he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today's Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers in Christ. This event happened in Acts chapter 2, as Max read for us earlier in the Beginner's Bible. But the Holy Spirit, we must remember, is present and active throughout the Bible, including the Old Testament. In Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is especially connected with the power to bring justice and righteousness. And so if we long to see justice and righteousness, 
there should be no one better equipped than the spirit-filled believer in Christ. That's why the abolition movement to end the slave trade was predominantly led by Christians. It was William Wilberforce who said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. The Holy Spirit compelled him to seek justice and righteousness. And what we see in the text is the Spirit of the Lord stirring into action. The commanding verb of these whole first few verses that we read in Isaiah 61 is to proclaim good news. To proclaim good news. And that's what we get to do during these difficult days. Proclaim the good news of the gospel, which brings justice to bear and sets broken things back in order. And when it says proclaim good news to the poor, that doesn't just mean financial or material poverty. No, it's much more expansive than that. The term means all those who are distressed and in trouble for any reason. For me, that's good news. For you, that's good news when we're distressed and troubled. And it's good news for us to take to a hurting city. We have good news to proclaim. And not just to proclaim like we show up and hurl words around, but to put into action. And this is what we see Jesus do. He preaches the kingdom of God, and then he binds up the brokenhearted. It says in Isaiah 61, to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve. Don't underestimate the ability that you have to bring comfort to someone who's hurting or to provide for someone in grief. The Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And there's a whole lot of hopelessness right now. But you have the hope of Christ in you. And we can be asking ourselves these days, what opportunities do I have to share the hope of Christ? The description in Isaiah continues. It says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I was talking a couple days ago with a friend who's a YMCA leader who lives in Minneapolis and is a woman of color. I've known her for years now. She's a a wonderful friend and sister in Christ. And she shared that she'd gone to one of the areas that was destroyed by the riots to help clean up. And that as she was heading out the door to do that, she was just so burdened in her soul, so heavy hearted, a spirit of despair just hung over her like a cloud as she thought about her children and grandchildren and the world they're growing up in. As she talked about wrestling with how to seek justice and how to represent Christ well. But then out on the street, she said she was pushing a broom, cleaning up debris, walking, praying, and doing all this alongside others who had come to help as well. And she described this shift that happened in her heart a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And I think there's two things that she experienced out there. One was the comfort of others, and the other is the hope that comes with rebuilding. Verse 4 in our text says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For 400 years, this land has suffered under the plague of slavery and racism. A year before the Mayflower even arrived, the first 20 African slaves were brought to these shores in what is now the state of Virginia. 
That's 150 years before we even became the United States. And here we are today. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't stop it. The Civil War didn't stop it. The Civil Rights Movement didn't stop it. We are living in a place long devastated by racial strife. And a beautiful Minneapolis skyline is blighted by the burning violence below it. 400 years and counting. Since before any of our European ancestors ever got here, when Elk River was still teeming with elk and was inhabited by the Dakota and Ojibwe, for 400 years, we have been living among the ruins of racism in this country. And this past week, many of us have probably been asking ourselves, what can I really do? What could make a difference in all this? As a church, maybe we're wondering the same question. Less than a month ago, the news was full with news about Ahmad Arbery. And at the time, we talked as a church staff about it. And it was a good conversation, but it was just conversation. And we can't leave it at that anymore. We just can't. It's time to get out the door with the broom and the gospel and rebuild, restore, and renew. And so what does that look like? What does that look like for us, a church in Elk River? What could we do that would bring about lasting spirit-led change? We're asking ourselves this question right now. And one of the things that we've been thinking about is a gap in how we approach missions. We've always talked about working locally to globally as we live out the gospel together. And so from the beginning, we've served locally with things like the YMCA, Rake the Town, Sheridan Story at Lincoln, our food shelves, Guardian Angels, and so on. And globally, we have been so thankful to forge relationships and serve in places like Ethiopia, Europe, South America, and now, as of this year, India. But I think the intermediate between those two bookends has been missing. You know, if you think about it in terms of the Great Commission, if the Y is our Jerusalem and Elk River is our Judea and we're serving at the ends of the earth, what about Samaria? What about Minneapolis? What about relationships that we could form here, say with another church that's serving in the heart of the city? How could we come alongside one another and rebuild And these are ideas that are just taking shape, but it is time to move the conversation into action. And I believe there will be great blessing in this. Verse 7 says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And then listen to this. It's It's based in the character of God. The next verse says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Now, when I was a kid, we weren't really allowed to use the word hate because my mom said hate is a strong word. And it is. And here we have God using the word hate for how he feels about injustice, robbery, and wrong. And you have maybe had strong feelings brewing in your heart this past week about what happened to George Floyd, about what's happening on the streets of Minneapolis and other cities. There is a righteous anger that can get stirred up. And that's because God made us to love the things that he loves. The imprint of his character is upon our hearts. 
You know, ours are fallen and imperfect to be sure, but nevertheless, we imitate our creator when we love justice and hate what is wrong. This week, I called a couple of my friends who are police officers. And I tell you what, one of the toughest jobs on the planet is what those two guys are doing. And they are two of the most honorable men that I know, both of them living out their calling as followers of Christ to serve, protect, and keep people safe. And their heart for justice is a reflection of God's heart. And we need to be in fervent prayer for their safety and that God's peace would descend upon our city again. I'd like to take you to one last spot in the text, and that's how it finishes in verse 11. These beautiful words, a great picture as we welcome summer in Minnesota. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Before all nations, it says. That is a picture of the global church, the multi-ethnic family of God in Christ. Scripture gives us a little glimpse of heaven when it says in Revelation, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We have to understand that racism and racial injustice are an affront to God's creative design and his eternal plans. I want to close this morning by sharing a little more personally with you. And I guess that's the way this works, isn't it? I mean, each of us can only relate to these things in the shoes that we're in. And in some ways, it's maybe not so compelling to hear a white male pastor preach about peace and justice, because I have known so much privilege in my own life. But I do have a closer connection to some of this, and that is being a father to an African son. Now, many of you know Lennox. He's not listening to the message right now. We sent him off to do his own little kids' ministry time with an iPad in a different room. Esther and I talked about this. just feels like that gives us a little more freedom to tell this story as it relates to this topic today. And if you could keep this here and, and not share it with Lennox, we'd really appreciate that. But here's what we wanted to share, a couple things. When we originally felt called to adoption, you know, there's a few ways to do that. Two of the big categories are, are you going to adopt domestically or internationally? And because Esther is an immigrant herself and comes from another country and has a different mother tongue, we felt drawn to international adoption just because it seemed to fit the fabric of our family anyway. And then we started to look at different countries that you can adopt from. And we really didn't have a certain place in mind. We just gathered information. And, and as we did that, we started to notice this very clear pattern. It's never in writing. Nobody ever said it out loud, but it was as clear as day. And here's what we saw. The lighter the skin tone, the more expensive the adoption. So as we looked at places like Eastern Europe and Russia, so white kids, the cost was X amount of dollars. And then you'd shift and go look at South America. So light brown skin color and, and the cost of the adoption came down to this amount. And then what do you suppose was the bottom of the barrel? The lowest cost in international adoption was for black kids from Africa. 
And it was like we stumbled onto this inherent racism playing out in international adoption. Supply and demand. It was a statement about value. And we were so appalled by it. That's why we picked Ethiopia. But then, of course, these dynamics of race, they don't just stop once you complete the adoption process. I remember Lennox's first Halloween. The very first one, he had just come home. He didn't speak any English yet, so we skipped that. We thought he's not ready to go out trick-or-treating. But the next fall was his first Halloween. And we were in downtown Elk River. Maybe I'm sure some of you have done this, where you can go from business to business in downtown Elk River and trick-or-treat. And of course, Lennox, that first Halloween, he wanted to be a police officer. He has always loved police officers and wants to be one when he grows up. So I want to show you this picture of Lennox's first Halloween. And you can see we're, we're in downtown Elk River, a mostly white community. And here's my son just beaming as he walks around trick-or-treating. He's like this walking billboard for racial reconciliation. And I remember, too, a, an Elk River squad car pulled up to the, the crosswalk just as we were crossing the street. And he gave Lennox a big thumbs up. And Lennox just thought he had made it. He was a celebrity. But here's what I wasn't ready for. That same year, we were sitting at the dinner table one evening, and we were just a few bites into the meal, and Lennox just drops his head and starts crying. And Esther and I are trying to figure out what, what is going on. I mean, he's just in despair. He has these big tears rolling down his cheeks. And when he can finally speak, you know what he says to us? He says, I don't like my skin. And I was absolutely heartbroken. How does a four and a half year old boy not like his skin? I mean, where does that come from? I can tell you where it does not come from. And that is the heart of God. And so I have spent my days since then telling my son how handsome I think he is, how strong he is, how proud I am of him and that he was made in the very image of God. And some days, I look at my now eight-year-old boy, and I'm very aware that in a few short years, he will be a young black man in Minnesota. And what will our streets look like then? The church has to show the way. We're here to follow Jesus, to build his kingdom, and to proclaim good news. That this year, even this year, would be the year of the Lord's favor. Would you pray with me? Sovereign Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the privilege it is to be your children. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone, but you have sent us your Holy Spirit to comfort us and lead us. We confess before you, Lord, the sinful patterns that we are caught up in, and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your comfort for the family and friends of George Floyd and all those who grieve his passing. We ask for healing and peace for our twin cities and our state, that the rioting and violence would come to an end. 
We ask, Lord, for your protection and strength for our police officers, first responders, firefighters, and military. We ask for wisdom and unity among our leaders and elected officials. Lord, we just call out to you this morning. Lord, have mercy. We need your hand to steady our people and to steady our hearts. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.